0: Ladies and gentlemen, the bloodiest thing that ever happened in front of a camera.
1: Another list here, doing my top 10 favorite first-time watches and discoveries of 2021. Uh, I like to do this every year, kind of look back at just uh, the really good films that I ended up seeing, my favorites and all that. Um, The only two kinds uh, of films I'm excluding are uh, films released in 2021. I definitely saw some really phenomenal films last year that would definitely make the list, like uh, Red Rocket, uh, Pig, Green Knight, uh, all terrific films that probably would have made the list, but I'm excluding those uh, as I do every year for brand new releases like that. And two, I decided to leave off um, uh, big well-known classics, because it seems like every year I'm always uh, seeing uh, uh, these big classics that i just never seen before. So like, for example, last year I finally saw films like Safety Last, uh, Rio Bravo, Willy Wonka, you know, these really big films that everyone knows about, everyone's seen um, that all three of them would have made the list undoubtedly, but it You know, for my own sake, uh, it just, I don't think it'd be as interesting to put those on there. Uh, Not that I'm necessarily going for obscurity because the list, the the films in this list aren't aren't obscure. It's just not big, big classics. Like it'd be like putting Casablanca on a list or something like that. and, you know, like I said, these are when I say when I say discoveries and first time watches, uh, it's a mixture of both films that I either had never heard of before and discovered this year or films that I'd known about and had finally seen this year. So um, not necessarily all just because yeah, I can't really pinpoint when I when I have or haven't heard of a film. Definitely films on the list that I uh, definitely didn't know of before last year. But, you know, a, a good amount of, of these on here I had known about just hadn't seen. So uh, that's all I wanted to say beforehand. So let's get into the list. Uh, so with number 10, starting off with uh, comedy. Really solid comedy from 1976. Um, this is uh, The Bad News Bears. There's
0: something I forgot to tell you guys. It's a league rule. Cups and supporters. Aww. Gotta be one at all times. Very comfortable. Well, either you wear them, get that one. Either you wear them or you don't play. Can we stop this already? We got another hour of practice. What? What are you saying? I've been brushing up on my Spanish of and I think he's saying something about, you know, his being uh, Catholic and it's a sin.
1: Oh, for Christ's sake. So I'm a sucker for underdog kind of films, and I'm a sucker for sports films actually. And in the past couple years or so, I've really grown a uh, appreciation for, for sports films a lot that I hadn't seen before. I'm finally catching up on. In this film, I'd always known about, it, and I finally saw it. I just thought it was absolutely hilarious. Uh, Walter Matthau's in the lead. Big Walter Matthau fan. Love him when he's doing comedic or dramatic stuff. From The Odd Couple to Charlie Verick. Uh Directed by Michael Ritchie, who actually who actually did a, a really good amount of directed films. He did like Fletch um, um, uh, Smile, which uh, Fun City just put out. Uh, a lot of stuff here uh and uh and it's actually written by bill lancaster son of burt lancaster and uh burt lancaster is going to come up on this list later on uh and it's funny i think i actually read that bill um wrote the character of um of uh uh, uh morris buttermaker by walter Matthau. uh in i think in part in due part um to burt lancaster i think he said that's kind of what it was like but anyways uh yeah i think this is pretty well known but still going over it's basically about this uh um uh Walter Mathel was this uh, older baseball coach he gets uh brought back in to coach this uh this uh, minor league and uh basically you know they're a really bad team they're 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 you know the, the kids are all pretty rough <laughs> you know it's, it's like they're not really taking it too seriously they they're trying but they're not very good at it and basically got to coach them and then from there they kind of start to uh go up the ranks start to get better and all that and then we bring in another character um oh gosh what's her name I'm uh, uh every time every time I go to record I was blank on names uh, Amanda, played by uh, Tatum O'Neill. Again, like, he's actually a great cast. I got into it a little bit, but that, basically she comes in. She's really good, and she makes a deal with Walter Matthau, and then from there, uh, a bunch of uh, different shenanigans ensue. Uh, Walter is always drinking. The kids were always saying horrible <laughs> horrible things, and it's one of these things where I really love these kind of... Actually, uh, it's, it's like the funny thing about Walter Matthau's character in the film is that he cares, but he also has that that laid-back kind of no-nonsense. Like, like he doesn't... He cares, but he's not, like... He, you know he's not gonna yell at you if you get in trouble or anything like that. He's very laid back. He's always got a cigarette in his mouth. Always has always has a beer in his hand. And the kids themselves. I mean, even if I don't remember all the exact names, uh, it's one of the it's one of these films where when a character shows up, it's uh, they they always bring something really fun to the table. The kids are just you know you always you have like a really nerdy kid. You have the main kid who. Um, is, like, always saying, like, really bad, like, pretty really bad stuff that you should be saying. Uh, Jack Earl Haley in the young role, uh, one of his most famous roles, actually, is in the film. He comes in the film uh, uh, a little more than halfway through as, like, one of the older kids who starts to help him out. Oh, uh, yeah, with, with comedy, it's a little hard to kind of pinpoint exactly what I like about the film. It's mostly just a lot of uh, just really fun gags, and I think a big part of that is due in part to uh, the, the cast of kids and Walter Matthau as well. Also, Vic Moore is in the film. Uh, like I said, Tatum O'Neill. You have George Van Patton. Uh, uh, you know, it's a really solid cast, and uh, this is a film that, that is just... Uh, I. I compare it, you know, maybe maybe an obvious comparison in a way, maybe not so obvious as another great 70s sports film is like *Slap Shot* with Paul Newman, where you have that kind of you have somebody coming in like that. And I'd love to see, you know, Walter Matthau and Paul Newman, these two characters from these films in, in a film together, because they both, Walter Matthau is definitely more laid back. Uh, and I uh, definitely, again, it feels like Bill Lancaster. I mean, I know he said he wrote this for, you know, and because, Bert, uh, you know, the character kind of reminded him in a lot of ways, a Burt, but it feels like a, car- a guy we all know, kind of like uh, like an old-school kind of laid-back guy who is really just, you know, he cares, but he shows it in his own way, and, you know, it's a series of gags, very funny, very silly, uh, uh, very on-PC, you know, which I love about it, and uh, I don't really have a whole lot to say about it, honestly, even though this isn't my number 10, but it really is just a really funny movie, uh, I just love the gags, love the characters, and this is one that um, I think of, maybe of all the films on the list, I'd probably go back to the the most probably this one and, and uh, another one that I'll talk about later but yeah, I really love this film uh, just really one of the good seven one of the great 70s comedies, I should say and I'm just kind of I'm surprised I hadn't seen it up till now so yeah that's the bad news bears in number 10 so going coming at number nine was a film that I think may have been a I think i had heard about it before last year but I hadn't obviously ever seen it and then this got a great uh, release from Fun city editions and they had two films uh, two really exceptional releases last year I mean they all their I have all their releases and they're all phenomenal uh, in one way one way or another. But um, I think Walking the Edge was one that I thought was just really excellent, honestly. Uh, um, But this one uh, really just floored me. I was just, I just really was taken aback by how much I really loved this film. And I'm going to go with Jeremy.
0: Film festival 48 films were printed from around the world. They were made by the most renowned directors and featured the biggest name stars in entertainment. But look what happened a film called Jeremy, directed by an unknown and starring two actors no one has ever heard of. Not only won a major award, but, in fact, was voted the most popular film of the entire festival by the general public. I have a woo woo a happy tune, Long enough to last me all through the afternoon. I have the New York Times, 14 dimes,
1: Before I talk about this film, I just want to give a, like a, a shout out to Fun City Editions. I mean, I've said before uh, to you know some friends when we talk about you know release companies and all that. It's, it's, um, I think right now we really are at a gold, the golden age of home media because we're getting a lot of films that either uh, that have just been gone for all this time. And as as much as I love films that you know get releases and all that, I love I love buying the 4Ks. And you know, at a certain point, it's, um, some films that get released so many times, I just start to get uninterested. And when I see an announcement and it's just a, you know uh, another 4K uh, of a movie that's been released 10 times. I'm like, I'm a little less interested, so I think that's why I love Fun City Editions so much. Um, they're a Vinegar Syndrome partner label, partner label. and honestly, like w- when I see companies like Vinegar Syndrome, Fun City, AGFA, um, these Saturn's Core, you know, pretty much just the part labels and, and Vinegar Syndrome, I look at these companies who are putting out films that, um, really are were lost and forgotten, and I think Jemmy was one of them as well. Now, I might be wrong about this, but I believe, um, this may have had a DVD at some point. I, I really don't know. Uh, but either way, I, I, I think that if film fans knew about this, like cult film fans, but I don't think the general public really knew about it. it was kind of. I mean, it was, it was to my knowledge, it was a hit when it came out, or at least it did well. I think it it won some award or something at a festival, but um, it, it never. I don't believe really became a big like a big uh, a seventies classic as it really should have been. And I think this is a film that um, really would have had an impact if if more people had seen it, I think a, a big part of a film's reputation is, is availability, is being able to see it. And I think that, uh, you know, uh, unless you're looking for a film like this, you're really not going to find it. And it's a real shame because this is a very low key, uh, very romantic film. Uh, like I said, from 1973, we have two great leads. We have Glennis O'Connor and um, Robert Benson. And basically Robert Benson, they, it, it, they're in New York and they start to form this kind of teenage love. I, I believe Robert Benson is... Um, he, he plays in the school, I think he's a cellist or something. Some of these films, I apologize, like it's been months and months since I've seen them and, and I haven't rewatched any of these since. So I'm kind of going off memory here. So I apologize if some of these, my, my description is not the best, but basically he falls in love with this girl, uh, Susan, like I said, played by Glynis O'Connor. And we start to see their, their relationship to start to blossom pretty much. And what I love, what I love about the film and a film like this is that it's a very quiet film. It's very, it's one of these films where, um, it's very low-key and observational. It feels like a documentary at times where you kind of feel like a fly on the wall. Uh, but at the same time, then you have these moments with Jeremy he, where he goes off and kind of talks to her about things he likes to do. Like, you know, he has this whole, um, like, he likes to, like, uh, uh, kind of uh, not race. I mean, he races people on the street, but not to their knowledge. So, like, he'll he'll try to go faster than them, but they're not aware of it. Uh, and he doesn't make a big deal about it. He just kind of tries to catch up to them. And little moments like that where they go. it goes into, like, these little uh, vignettes and, uh, where it goes to at the end is kind of uh you know the reality of the situation where we are just getting, a, getting a glimpse into the just this period of time between these two teenagers um there's also a moment of the film that i have really stuck out with me uh that doesn't it's not it's not uh like a, like a big moment but it's just a very romantic moment when jeremy wakes up early uh to go walk susan to school and she asks him you know you have i think it was something like she like he has kid class earlier than her or something like that um he woke up extra early She's like, why would you do that? And he, it's just a simple, like, he just tells her, I just wanted to walk to school with you. And it's moments like that that feel a lot more sincere and a lot more, like the movie doesn't stop. She doesn't, she doesn't stop and look at him and have this big moment. It's just really, it feels very honest. Like I, you know, um, like, I don't even know how to explain it really. This is directed by Arthur Barron who, um, I believe only did one other feature besides this. Uh, he did the movie brothers from like 77, I think, or 76, um, and he did a he did a bunch of other stuff. I think a lot of TV movies. Um, but and I'm Robert Benson, Glenis O'Connor, they went on to do a bunch of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think this is a film that, like I said before, it's just I think availability now that it has a Blu-ray from Fun City Editions, I, I think this really is must-watch, and uh, especially for um, cult film fans and '70s fans. I, it really is a shame that this is uh, kind of been lost. Not lost, but not as talked about. I don't think this will everybody will love this because like it is very understated. It is it is very low-key. Um, so I think people might find it slow and might find it. um, a little not tricky to engage not hard to engage i should say but it's not as i don't want to hype it up too much and say that it's um a film that everyone will love because not everyone is going to love it and i think some people might be um if you're not with the characters you won't be with the story because you really are just kind of following them in this this period of time but um i think this is one that now it's more available uh, i hope it's really going to find an audience again i certainly did because i heard about it i think I think I heard about it before last year, but I, had, well, I hadn't really been full aware of it, fully aware of it, but a uh, really terrific film. This is, this is a must-watch, and the Blu-ray is a must-buy. Uh, and it also looks great, by the way. It is funny how these films that probably don't have the best prints are just look uh, amazing like this, the, the restorations that, that a lot of these companies do. So uh, that's my number nine, is Jeremy from 1973. So uh, going into, we had a comedy, we had a romance film, and now we have, I guess, I uh, could say another sports film, but not in the way, maybe like a, yeah, I guess like a sport, Someone does a sport. Anyways, from 1965, we're going with Steve McQueen in The Cincinnati Kid.
0: Well, uh, let's get started. Lancy, <laughs> this is Eric Stoner, The Cincinnati Kid, Lancy Howard. I'm glad to know you, Lancy. My pleasure. How the town treating you? New Orleans has always been good to me. Well, that's fine. Of course, towns do change, though, don't they? They tell me you're quite a stat player, young man. Do they? That's right. New York, Chicago, Miami. Oh, I've been hearing about you for a couple of years now. Yellow there tells me how you gutted him once with a pair of fours. (laughs) That's right. Remember, kid, the night you cut me up with the two red fours? Must overplayed my hand. <laughs> like I
1: said when I was talking about my top ten of '98, when I had "Croupier" on the list, I really love poker films. I love films about gambling, uh, card playing, and this is what this is exactly what this is. And um, uh, man, this movie had me on the edge of my seat. Man, this is a phenomenal, phenomenal film, directed by Norman Jewison, starring Steve McQueen. Also, listen to this cast by the way. This is a terrific cast. You have Steve McQueen and Margaret, and, and she looks. Beautiful in this film, Edward G. Robinson, Carl Malden, Tuesday Weld, Rip Torn, Jack Weston. I mean, this is a hell of a cast right here. And this film is is when I say sports film, I mean I I'm more in the way I guess if you can classify um uh, you know card playing as a sport. I don't know what you call. It. I guess it's a drama. You know, really. But basically, Steve McQueen's leading this film. He he plays the Cincinnati Kid, and he is a phenomenal card player. He is he is. Uh, just he has this reputation already he's still working his way up and he's still um getting the ropes but already i mean he has this kind of like like this oh this this guy's a health poker player card player and so basically he's going up against the ruby robinson who plays his character um uh, uh lancy howard and from there we uh you know there's some intrigue with some of the characters and margaret plays his character melba who wants to get with steve mcqueen but he really doesn't he really doesn't want to uh you know she's trying to trying to kind of interfere and then we get to uh what is the highlight of the the whole film, which is really the last half hour, uh, maybe the last 40 minutes or so, I don't exactly remember how long it was, but it really is just this intense um, kind of card playing that's more about, and it's really about endurance, where it's not just like a simple card game, it just goes on and on, and people, you know, either leave for their own fruition, or they lurk they gone with all their money and they can't do it, and it's really um, The Cincinnati Kid versus Lancey Howard, and this great back and forth, and uh, I think this is one of these films that uh, you, when, I think the, the big thing that I got out of it is that when it was over, I really felt... Um, how a character felt in the movie where it's when the, when it, when the credits come up uh, which movie ends uh, abruptly in a good way where when the movie's over it's over it, the credits come up and then that's uh, and it and it's a film that like I said I really did feel it and I felt the emotion of what had just happened because it's really intense back and forth you don't know is a Cincinnati kid going to go up against the legend and win or is he going to you know just be another uh, uh, nobody and it's one of these things where There's some doubt from Williamson Howard's side kind of with um, uh, Paul Newman's character in The Color of Money when he is like this veteran um, – he's this veteran uh, uh, pool player, but then there's that point in the middle of the film when he loses against – I think it's actually um, um, Forrest Whitaker if I'm remembering correctly – and that kind of doubt of just maybe I'm not – Rip is really great in the film. I think I mentioned Jack Weston is great. Uh, I just love these kinds of films. And I thought the, the end of this film was so intense and so interesting. And I could not take my eyes off the screen. And also, like I said, Anne Margaret is... This is maybe the most beautiful she's ever been. She is just drop-dead gorgeous in this. And uh, Steve McQueen is great. And I, I think even if you're not really big into card films or poker films, this is still a must-watch. I, like, I was actually kind of surprised I saw some kind of meddling reviews of it. Maybe it is because I'm more interested in this or not. But, uh, I, yeah, I just couldn't take my eyes off the screen. And even when it's not um, – when they're even when they're not playing cards, just I thought all the characters were just so interesting. And, and the whole gambling lifestyle uh, was great, man. I, I really love this film. And, uh, you know, Norman Drewson Norman is just really one of the – all-tier directors, I think. I mean, from everything from uh, Jesus Christ Superstar to, um, to Moonstruck. I mean, he's just phenomenal. A fist, uh, you know. It's just a phenomenal film. Uh, um, this is just uh, uh, really one of the best gambling films, period. So, um, going for another comedy, going another uh, '70s film uh, from 1972, uh, directed by Elaine May. We have The Heartbreak Kid.
0: A feeling about the big cities, the clear air out here, the honest food. Getting back to the soil. And I will tell you, quite honestly, I was very impressed. I'm oh, very glad to hear that. very impressed. And I think I can also say, quite honestly, I have never heard such a crock of horseshit in my life, sir. There's no deceit in the cauliflower. Where do you get ideas like that? They just... They just come in at the New York head of yours? I was merely trying to impress the fact that it was a, a pleasure I see to through you. You don't think I see through you? You could wear two wool sweaters and a raccoon coat. I'd still see through you. I've never once tried to misrepresent myself or Uh, uh, deceive anybody. Leonard, you think you're quite determined, don't you? You think once you get your mind set on something, that's it. Leonard, you don't know what determination is. I eat determination for breakfast.
1: This one I don't believe ever had a DVD. I think there's some rights issues with this that's prevented it from getting a home media release. But it's available on YouTube. I think it's been on there for a while. And I really is a shame that this isn't more um, readily available outside of the internet. I I think I had a VHS or something. Anyways, the Heartbreak Kid. um, We have Charles Grodin in the film, and he plays this guy Lenny. He's married to his new wife Lila, played by Jeannie Berlin. And at first things are all right, you know. But then he starts noticing some things where she's maybe not the person that he. Except after they got married, she starts to kind of act, uh, you know, a little strange and all that. And what I love about the film is that it's like uh, uh, Charles Grode is very much, <laughs> Lenny is very much a shithead in this film, where Lila does some things, but she's really not a bad person. She just has some quirks that he's a little, like, hey, I don't know about. Basically, he's on his honeymoon and he sees this girl Kelly play of the, the great, beautiful little shepherd, and he realizes that he wants to actually be with her. So it's the problem of, uh, you know, uh, uh, Lila gets sick and she has to stay in the hotel. So Lenny's going out, he's making up lies. He has this whole great scene where he talks about how he kind an acts and had to go to court and all that. It's a lot of, um, it's a lot of situations where it's like Lenny you really shouldn't be on Lenny's side and you really aren't but you kind of want to see what situations he gets himself into and also like Sybil Shepherd, so I mean you know she's absolutely beautiful so you watch you watch him to go yeah I'll probably go after her too um and next thing about the film I really love films with um leads like this that you, you really shouldn't be signing for and you never are because you have Eddie Albert in the film as well I got another film with great cast uh, who plays Kelly's dad and he's just annoyed with Charles Grown he's like hey I want you to, please go away but I mean just not as nice as that but uh, he's very annoyed with him and even when when Lenny tells him that he wants to marry her his reaction is great um there's a really great scene in the film when Lenny and Lila are going to uh, dinner at the end. It's towards the end of the film when he wants. To, there's like a pie that he wants to get, and the way that he has, he's tried to explain everything. It's it's just this really long, funny scene. Um, this was remade in 2007 with Ben Stiller and Malin Ackerman, I think is her name, and Michelle Monaghan. And I think I saw that film, but I, my problem from when I can remember that film, I think the uh, Malin Ackerman's character in that Lila, I remember it was it was like no one, no one really, it was a bit too much. It was like a character is so over the top. And with that film, because from what I can remember, they want you to side with Lenny in that film that it's like, why doesn't he just like sit down and talk to her and just go, Hey, I don't really like these things. That's why I love about this film that, that Charles Gruden's character, Lenny is a shithead. I have it before, but really is like any, any rational person would just sit down and go with this, with Lila, who's not even like a bad person. She just has some quirks and she would have talked to her and said, Hey, you know, these things, uh, we, we, you know, I don't really like this and that the simple, um, marriage stuff but the fact that he's ready on his honeymoon to start seeing somebody else is it's hilarious it's a great comedy of errors and the ending of this film i think like the last like 10 seconds of the film sums up the entire film it's it's got a it's, it's got a very memorable ending and like with jeremy i think this is one well, that just hasn't really been uh, available i mean unless you knew about it i guess maybe the remake probably brought some attention to it but um even when I was mentioning to somebody uh, not that long ago, they were saying, Oh, you mean the Ben Stiller movie and I was uh, I told them, you know, no, this was that was actually a remake and they had never heard of it, they had never knew about the original, and it's a shame, uh, directed by Elaine May, uh, just one of the great seventies directors. Uh yeah, it's just it's a shame. I think this this really should be more talked about and more seen and and hopefully that remake kind of pushed um you know, some people towards this. But anyways, yeah, really great film. Love Charles Grode as well. He's just a really uh, great actor and I'm uh, a big fan of this film. Really love it. Uh, Heartbreak Kid from 1972. And uh, another 70s film. Actually, a lot of 70s films on this list. Actually, I think this this might be the last 70s film. Yes, it is. Okay, last 70s film, uh, period piece, number six spot. I'm going from, uh, what was it, the years? 1971. Uh, we have Summer of 42.
0: Oh, these marvelous donuts. Help yourself. Coffee will be ready in a few minutes. Oh, you drink coffee, don't you? Well, I consume a couple of cups a day. <laughs> well, I have milk?
1: Oh, no. I take it black.
0: Are you in high school? Well, I'm a sophomore. I thought you were older. Well, next year I'll be a junior. And so on. Now, don't be in too big a hurry. You to end up in the army before you know it. Well, I'm prepared to go. I'm taking pre-flight courses in high school. And I guess I'll get my wings. And maybe I can team it with my brother. He's a paratrooper. Ooh. And maybe I can drop him out. So your brother's a paratrooper? Yeah. But mostly I have a sister in high school. He's ready. I hope it's all right. It's from this morning. Well, it looks fine. I have a little bit of sugar. Would you like some? Oh, no, 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 thanks. I- I'll take a black.
1: So in terms of the 10 films here, this is the one that I definitely had never heard about before. I, I saw the title when I was looking up movies that were playing on TCM, didn't know anything about it, didn't know the plot, but I added it and recorded it. And uh, this film just blew me away. This is directed by Robert Mulligan, who uh, probably most famously did To Kill a Mockingbird, but he also did um, Love of the Proper Stranger, going back to Steve McQueen before, um, The Nickel Ride. He's done a lot of stuff. He's done a lot of great stuff, and uh, this film uh, really uh, blew me away. This is a period piece, like I said, summer of 42, uh, and we have this kid, and the lead kid is played by the name that I should have had already, but I am not prepared. Uh, Gary Grimes. He plays this kid, uh, Hermie, and he's looking... It, it starts off in narration, and he's thinking about back to his life, where he was, uh, he was spending the summer in this, uh... I, f- I forgot where it was, uh, it was some vacation spot. But anyways, um... Jennifer O'Neill is the lead. Uh, from the psychic, she's been in a bunch of stuff, and she, uh, her boyfriend or her husband, I'm sorry, is, uh, is external world war two, so she doesn't know if he's alive or dead, waiting for him to come back. And uh, Hermes starts to develop a crush on her. Uh, you know, young kid older lady, and at the same time, he's starting to develop. Um. Uh, you know, he's getting to that point where he's starting to be interested in girls and all that, and his friend is having more luck. Basically, everybody's having more luck than he is, and he's kind of oblivious to it. And he's starting to fall in love with her and has this uh this crush on her. And I think the thing about the film that uh, Robert Mulligan is is actually a good uh, uh kid director. I mean, obviously, the, all the performances in To Kill a Monk, Bird are phenomenal, and here just the way that uh, he I I don't believe he wrote the film, but um. No, okay. Herman Rocker uh, wrote the film, and I don't think I am familiar with uh, a lot of his work. Um, oh, actually, he wrote the Watermelon Man, I believe. Uh, yeah, he did. Look at that. If that's the same one, the uh, Melvin Van Peebles film. That's a really a solid film as well. But uh, just the way that he directs the kids in this film, it feels very mu- it feels very unapologetic in the way where there's some stuff here that might be um, uh, that might probably seen now as taboo but one you know this is this is 1970 and also this is the period in 71 i'm sorry and this is also his period piece of 40 of you know 1942 so there's some stuff that probably wouldn't fly now but in a way that feels a lot more honest and it feels like uh more kids being kids in a way that it's not afraid to look at it in a in an adult way um there is i mean it's a, it's a drama but there is a lot of good comedy in the film as well there's a really really good scene a great back and forth when um when Hermie goes to a um a store to buy condoms but he like he he like, is like embarrassed so he goes by ice cream and the the clerk there kind of knows what he's doing and there's a great back and forth they start tricking each other and it's a really solid scene and um also like the, the, the whole look of the film I think is really great too. I really love any kind of period piece where they go to a cinema and that looks great. Uh, Jennifer Neal is there. the relationship between her and Hermie is is really just very uh it feels very honest and I think the last like 30 minutes of the film uh, it goes to such a incredibly uh, tender place, and the the relationship between the characters it just it feels very. Um, I mean, almost definitely, but it feels. Uh, in a way I can't really describe it. It, it, it feels I think tender is, is probably the best word to use. I really where the film goes to, I think might turn some people off. Um, but it's a place of vulnerability and a place of loneliness, at, at, and in a way that takes not maybe not like a, a total uh, tonal shift, but it, it feels so. Um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? It feels so. I guess personal is probably the word I would use. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I think Above All Less is a film that, because I didn't know anything about it, and because I got... It, it's kind of... Any sort of film where you have a character looking back on their life, uh, or looking back at a point in time, uh, I I have a weird affection for that. Even a movie like uh, like Big Wednesday, uh, the surfing film, which is a really great film as well. Uh, about you know about a character looking back on this one. T- I mean, Big Wednesday is multiple. It goes to multiple times, and also actually that film as well is during a uh, uh, Vietnam um, at, at one point. But this feels very. Uh, honest is it's just a a film that really just stuck with me and the characters um something about maybe just the nostalgia of it all uh i don't know man i i this is a film that i just since i saw it i just really thought a lot about and i haven't rewatched it since i actually got the blu-ray pretty recently this is a warner archive blu-ray and just just the title alone i was just like okay cool and um i really just love this film man this is one that i i think it got some oscar uh nominations i believe uh I, I don't know anything about the Oscars, but um, I don't really hear this film talked about a whole lot, especially even with that Warner Archive Blurry, I don't really hear it talked about a lot, and I uh, just totally love this film, and um, this is just a high recommendation for sure, just absolutely loved it, of course. It's um, going into uh, another drama, going to, all the way back to 1937, uh, this is Make Way for Tomorrow.
0: You see, the house isn't ours anymore, the bank is taking it over. The only thing i can suggest is that you come to live with one of us until we can get ourselves straightened out well that's awfully nice of you george but your father and i thought that well no matter what happened that we'd always be oh never mind what we thought father cooper goes to live with cora and mother goes with george and his wife anita does it work out can these two old folks in the last 50 years have never been separated stand such a separation
1: now. So Make Way of to Bar was directed by Leo McCary who uh, most famously probably did Duck Soup. He's actually done a bunch of films and uh, this is one that's a Criterion Blu-ray but for whatever reason it's actually not streaming on the Criterion channel and I don't believe it's streaming anywhere actually not even available to rent which is uh, just so strange and I think what I was talking about before uh, is that this is a film that I think uh, I don't know what the availability was but I don't I watch it actually I, I guess I don't understand why this isn't considered a, a big classic because this this film um it just uh, floored me it blew me away um so this film is basically about you have these two leads here who you have victor uh, victor moore and beulah Bondi, is i believe i say your name uh who actually that was i think she was like 40 something when they when she made this movie and they made her up to be to look a lot older basically uh she they're they're an older couple. And they're gonna lose their they're losing their house, and so they have to split up on two different parts of the country. Uh, with some of the kids, where they have uh, like four or five kids, I think. And the kids, you know, they don't really want them, but they have to kind of stay with them because they can't leave them, they can't leave them out. And uh, this uh, the a film really about like uh, uh loneliness, longing. Um, these two characters who really miss each other and and feel like they're being kicked out of the world pretty much. You have a part where Victor they're you know trying to get jobs. Victor Moore plays character Barclay Cooper, and he like there's a part where he tries to get a job, and uh you know he, he can't really read very well. Uh, he's you know starting to get sick, and Lucy she misses him, and uh and this there's actually a great clip um from Peter Bogdanovich who re- recently just passed away R I P where he talks to uh he's talking about um a conversation he had with with uh, Orson Welles in regards to the film.
0: I saw Make Way for Tomorrow in nitrate. it was a quite striking print. A couple of years after I saw it, I was having dinner with Orson Welles, and I said. Have you ever seen Make Way for Tomorrow? He said, "Oh my God, that's the saddest movie ever made. It would make a stone cry." <laughs> he loved it, and nobody went.
1: And it really rings true. This is a film that's very uh, melancholic and very sad, but at the same time, it's also like I think we're goes to the last 20 to 30 minutes. This is such a, uh, like I said before, summer 42. It's such a tender place where the tone. It kind of like. It it kind of shifts in a way, but it's, it never feels like a cop out. Where um, uh, it's such a touching uh film, and, it's, and there's a lot of themes going on about uh, you know these two characters. Uh, you know Lucy who feels like you know she's a burden, and these these some of these kids don't don't really want her, and she feels like you know at a certain point when you get older, people kind of stop caring about you, and and you're you feel like a burden, like you're in the way. And um, being this far away from her husband on the other side of the country, uh, I believe that's how far away it was. it was. It was a long distance away that she can't really see him. But feel, but you know, realizing that that she doesn't really want it around, she's kind of useless. And being all on your own, that that loneliness, an old age where you know, realizing that you're on your way out, it's very, it's a very like sad film. But it's not like it's not dour. It doesn't. It never um, is like. Like unbearable works, it's like oh, where you're thinking like oh, this is so depressing because there is a lot of hope in the film, and I think the ending of the film, uh, which originally they wanted to change, but I think the ending of this film was perfect. I If anything, I think the ending had been different, it may have taken away some of the impact of the film. Not to say they said like a downbeat ending or anything like that, but it's a very honest ending, and it, but at the same time uplifting in a way. It's it's very tricky to talk about, and I, and when it comes to availability, I just don't understand why this isn't talked about more in the conversation of not just the best '30s films because this would undoubtedly be in the conversation for that, but really just one of the best films I think I had ever seen. Um, Um, both of the performances are great. The kids are great as well. I don't, forgive me, I don't remember all the actors in the film and who they played, but, um... Just a really terrific film that that at times even feels kind of like a like a, st- a stage play with a lot of the dialogue, and but there is a lot of comedy in here too. You know there there are some funny moments, but but I think really it's where it goes to at the end is just phenomenal, and I just loved um the the back and forth between the characters. I loved where it goes to, and just there's just a couple scenes in the film that I just keep thinking about, especially that ending. I just think it's so strong and good. Uh, yeah, I, I think if you know next Criterion sale, if you're somebody who you know buys a lot, I think this is one that definitely should be on your list for. Actually, funny enough, as I'm I'm talking about this I, I looked up and it was based on a play by Helen Leary so you know what does that tell you but a must watch I really don't get why this isn't more talked about or not more well-known this is an absolutely phenomenal film uh like I said five out of five terrific uh I mean an absolute must watch uh so the next film uh is a film that may will definitely not be for everybody but it was a film that just loved a lot in 2000 uh, directed by Bernard Rose uh from Candyman this is Ivan's Ecstasy
0: You know, last night, (laughs) I had this incredible pain. The pain was so strong that I took every pill in the goddamn house. Pills wouldn't do anything. The pain wouldn't go away. So So I tried to find an image, one worthwhile image that would get me through it. And all I could find was shit. I couldn't find one worthwhile goddamn thing. I just have this... this memory. I don't know when I was it would be three or maybe four years old. And I remember my mother holding me her woolly sweater and my cheek against her breast. Ah, oh, she smells so sweet. She smells so sweet.
1: This was a title that Arrow Video had put out that I heard a little bit about before. And, um, yeah, this is one that is definitely more of a personal kind of... I mean, they're all personal picks, but I think it might be a little higher in this film than some other people might be. For whatever reason, this film just really struck a chord with me. You have Danny Houston in the film, and he plays this. Uh, he plays this guy Ivan Beckman, who is a really powerful, um, very top uh, Hollywood agent. Where he, he he's able to get deals with people that you know are tricky. He, you know, he's just, he's a really just smart uh, businessman. But he's also he he's addicted to a lot. He's addicted to you know uh, all the excesses in Hollywood. You know, drugs and alcohol and girls and all that. And at the beginning of the film, we find out that he died. And we we go back and see what happened and in his last kind of uh, uh, days. Of where it goes to. And uh, the I think, without a doubt, what people talk about with this film is really how it's shot. This is, uh, I don't really know much about, I mean, I don't know, like, film and digital and all that. But how exactly this film is shot, I don't really know how to explain it. It's, like, it's, like, uh, it's it's really tricky to talk about. I don't actually know how to explain how this film is shot. It, it's, like, it looks, like, almost like a documentary. It, it's exactly, actually, no, that's it, the perfect word for it. It feels like a documentary, the way it's shot. It's, it's a lot of, like, something about the... the um. Uh, uh frames per second it, which actually if you if you watch this on the arrow video blu-ray there's a couple different options for how to actually watch this film including a longer cut Like i watched the main theatrical cut of this and um however way it was it played in theaters or anything like that and i still thought this was just a phenomenal film uh, uh daniel houston's really great obviously he's the one who has to carry the whole film and i really like watching uh the character who is kind of put he puts off pretty much the inevitable of really he gets a there's a point where uh, he he kind of realizes it, but stuff to go go along and tries to put it off. And uh, Peter Weller's in the film as well. He plays one of the clients that Ivan's trying to get, and he's really solid in the film uh, too. He actually uh, he has a very uh, he has a you know a funny scene early on uh, with his family and all that. And uh, we go back and like I said, we see kind of his lifestyle. It's a very it's uh, kind of talking like about make for Mark. It's a very like kind of lonely existence where he has these like, people around him, but it's like he has this girl that she's you know they lives with. And there was just a scene early on where I think they're swimming nude together, and it's uh, a scene that feels. It's, there's nothing, like, erotic about it. It's really just these characters, like, they've been with each other for so... They've been with each other... I was gonna say so long, but actually not long. And But there's nothing really there. There's no, like, eroticism there. They're just casually walking around nude. Like, don't even think anything about it. And, um... Uh, there's a great scene later on where he goes to his uh, to his family's house, where Ivan goes to his family's house, and um, his sister kind of calls him out, and which is also a very funny scene too. I don't know the actress that plays his sister, but she it's very funny. She's like she's like an artist, she has like terrible paintings and stuff. It's really great. Um, like I said, Bernard Rose directed this probably most famously for Man and uh, you know th- uh, I think whatever it is about this film, it's got kind of this. this it, I like films about the, the kind of underbelly of of Hollywood or this kind of like the scuzzy part of it of just like you know using uh, like just all these uh, you know. Kind of in the same way of just like, like you watch Wolf of Wall Street and it's just like, you know, the underbelly of, um, uh, like, you know, Wall Street, New York and all that. But this, next film is more polished for sure. This is definitely a little rougher, um, you know, very much intentionally show, intentionally so the way it's shot, um, uh, very kind of like ugly uh, uh, look into a lot of it, and I think especially like like with Make Way for Tomorrow actually, where it goes to at the end is really just phenomenal. There's a really great scene where um, Ivan has these two girls over who uh, presumably want to initiate a three way uh, with him, but but where like how that scene starts and how it ends, it, it's very like. I can't even explain it. I think the way that Danny Houston plays that role, it, it becomes, like, sad and depressing, but, like, in a really good way. Um, I don't want to overhype this film too much because I think of all the films that are in my top ten, this is the one that probably won't be as loved as some of the other films. Um, and I can't even really explain it, why this film had just kind of affected me the way it did, but I thought it was just such a powerful, uh, dark, interesting film uh, with a great lead performance by Danny Houston. He's already one of my favorite actors, and just him in this film uh, blew me away. I think the second half is really where it gets really strong kind of that that slow realization that he's that yeah, you're dying um, until the, the inevitable and the and then where it goes to in the last like five minutes cause it's so um, ugly and so um, um, uh, unglamorous yeah, as opposed to this, this whole kind of glamorous lifestyle with drugs and, and women and, and alcohol but uh, really love this film the, the Arrow Blu-ray is great too I, I'm actually interested to watch the longer cut of this um, even though I thought the, the length of this film was totally was perfect I thought I actually flew by at a really good pace but I uh, yeah, love this film really love this film uh, won't be for everybody but definitely take a chance on it so um, probably the most recent film on this list for my number three is directed by the great Thomas Wittenberg from 2012 with Mads Mikkelsen in The Hunt.
0: Thomas! Hey, no! <inaudible> uh, yes, no! Lukas! Hi. Kigger du lige ind? et er det. Hvad
1: er det, hvad er det, hvad er det, der skete?
0: Det kan jeg ikke sige. I've really started to
1: realize how big of a fan of Thomas Wynterberg I am. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think, because I, you know, I watched The Celebration, that was phenomenal. Um, I recently watched Another Round, which was his last film, also with, with Matt Nicholson. I really like that film a lot. Um He did that movie Dear Wendy. Uh I think he wrote... No, he did... Sorry, he directed that film, and Lars von Kroen wrote it, or... Yeah, I believe that's that's what it was. Uh, and this film is uh, really struck with me a lot, uh, as it should. If Maz Nicholson, who is a school teacher in the film, and basically he ends up getting accused of molesting a kid in the class. I mean, we know as an audience that he, that he didn't do it, but the point is that the the whole everybody starts turning on him. And the the thing about the film is that you can't blame the people because obviously if, if this was true, then yeah, I mean, you know. Um, but the downfall that his life has because of that, and just the the breakdown of his character and his his son who knows... Knows that he's innocent and uh, uh, he, what happens to him as well, and just the the situation that he gets into because obviously you know the they no matter what he says, what can you really say after an accusation like that? And the the kid who accuses him, uh, Aniko uh, Wader, who plays the kid Carla or Claire? I'm sorry, she is great in the film as well. Like, I really like how they don't just make like the 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 change that goes through that character halfway through. Like the script in this film is so so smart and so strong. This is written by Vinterberg uh, and uh, uh, Tobias Lindholm, uh, and just how. Uh, dark the film gets. And, man, the the one sequence in the film that, I mean, it's on the poster, but uh, when uh, Mads Mikkelsen, his character Lucas, is in a church, and that whole sequence is... I, I don't want to give it away, but, like, he says, like, two lines to another character, and it just hits you at the core. Uh, his performance is, is is amazing in the film. Mads Mikkelsen's already one of my top favorite actors, and he's great in the film, and um, you just watch this character who, like, you 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 can see where everybody is coming from, like, if, if it was true, um, but then you also see what, you know, you, you it's a weird kind of middle ground, and just it, where it goes to, it gets worse and worse for him, and man, this is a film that, that's like kind of a one and done, it's like you watch it once, and it just really sticks with you, um, and I originally read the, that the ending was going to be changed, and I'm man, I'm just so happy they didn't change that ending, because the end of the film, I guess the kind of a running theme here, is the ending of the films, uh, but man, the ending of this film, The final shot is just, man, it it hurts. It's just You you watch it, and you're like, it it sticks with you. Love this film. Uh, This is probably my favorite Vinsorberg film. I don't think I've seen all those films, but this might actually be my favorite Mads Mikkelsen film as well. I'm trying to think. It's a film that I'm not going to watch a whole lot because it is so dark and depressing. And it's a very sad film, but very powerful. And like I said, that scene in the church is just incredible. It's just amazing. Uh, Amazing film. On just I've yet to hear anything say I have yet to hear anyone say anything bad about it. Absolutely amazing film, uh, but one you're gonna watch me once or twice. Um, anyway, so number two, uh, going to uh, a big blind spot for me. Uh, I, I mean I don't know how I hadn't seen this film until now, and I definitely could not leave this one off the list. Blew me the blew me away. This is one of the best action films I've ever seen. 1992, directed by John Woo, Hard Boiled. <laughs> Thank you. films that you watch and you immediately go yeah this is a classic film for uh, obvious reasons um, this is uh, you know there's a lot of John Woo films I hadn't seen like I hadn't seen The Killer before last year and The Killer was great as well I, I watched that and thought it was terrific but I think Hard Boiled is really the one that just Man, it blew me away. Of, of of of, I can't really think of the last time I watched an action film like this. Maybe the raid, where I was this uh, into the film. I and mean, there's been plenty of great action films, of course, the past in you know since the raid, but not one like that where you know I was just blown away. Um, and this film just blew me away. Uh, we. It's, uh, I read that John Woo, I guess, got criticism from his other films for glamorizing gangsters and criminals, and this film is the opposite. We follow a cop played by uh, Chagun Fat, who ends up teaming with um, another cop whose name I'm blanking on, and basically they're going to take down Anthony Wong, who's the leader of a, a crime organization, and uh, from there we get different set pieces. I mean, like the, the set piece at the beginning in the restaurant is, is amazing. And I think the thing about this film is that it's a film where, you know, you, you watch it, and a lot of the actors, you just see them getting thrown around. There's a lot of, uh, I don't know, I guess, I don't know what the term is, but like, it, it it's like it's it's a lot of like gunplay and and but and I uh, guess so and martial arts as well. Um and uh and it's just the, the the with a lot of the scenes there it's very chaotic very over the very i don't even want to say over the top but it's a lot of people like like throwing their arms around shooting at each other it's just, and it's one of these things where you know they're doing it in public so you it's, it feels realistic you see a lot of people who get innocent people who get uh hurt and killed and, and they make sure to show that which you know you watch a lot of action films that don't show it uh, but then you get a film like this where you really kind of show uh, the dangers of a situation like this so these a lot of public crime places and um i mean right off the bat that opening action scene is amazing and then from there you just get like tons of great tons of great elements after this but at the same time the story is really good too because the, the movie never drags where it has that equal amount of of plot to action where when you actually get back to the action sequences um they're they're long and they're very like Choreographed and, and it's it's like it's very fluid. You watch it and you just see guys getting thrown all over the place, people getting shot up. It's a very bloody film as well. And then you get to the climax of the film in the hospital. It's just this elaborate and the the the, the setup to that and then where it pays off to and and the whole thing with the having to, having to protect the 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 uh room of babies and stuff. It's this is a film that I would be I would be hard pressed to, if you if you showed this to somebody and they didn't like it, then it's just like man I don't know what you're expecting. You know I don't I, maybe you're just not a fan. Action films, and I know it's kind of a general statement to say, but really, I watch this film, and this is kind of why I love action films. This is really why I love films, honestly, because you can't do this in any other format. Right? The, the amount of fun that is had in this two hours, and especially the long shot at the end when they're when both cops are just running through the hospital, and you see glass being broken and bodies getting thrown. You just know that if somebody messes that up, you have to redo all that. And it's just, it's so intense and fun. And the, I think the most criminal part about this is that it's not it's not that available anymore uh this there was a blu-ray of this like a a long time ago but that's out of print now and it's not streaming anywhere it is on youtube so i mean if you want to if you want to watch it that way go for it but I don't know if this is even available to rent, and I just don't get it. Like this should be like a Criterion title. This should be readily available because a film this good should should not be like. I mean, when people say this is one of the best action films, I, I mean this is this is one of the best action films. I don't if you're an, if you're a fan of action films, I don't see what's not to love about this. It's very intense, very violent, um, and, but it's also just a great cop story. I think Shire and is a phenomenal leading John Wu. Uh, it's just a phenomenal director, and I think we a big part of it is the choreography of a lot of it because if your choreography sucks in an action film or a martial arts film that it's just it's going to ruin the whole thing and you know i don't know anything about it. i don't know anything about directing action or choreography or anything like that so but you can definitely you can see and watch a film and it just feels very clumsy but this film very, feels very uh, balls to the wall and chaotic and crazy and you know i, I was it just blew me away i don't i know i said that a couple times now but of all the films on this list i think this is one that i would show people probably the most um and it's the one that i I just, man, I just want to watch it again. Uh, Even talking about it now, watching clips to refresh a memory. It's just so uh, fun and interesting and intense. And I, I just... This is, this really is one of the best films I've ever seen. I'm uh, one of the best action films, but yeah, hard-boiled at number two. So number one, uh, boy, this is a film that I watched in January of last year. So I watched this a year ago and I'm still thinking about it. And it's a film that I've just thought about a lot since I watched it. It was, it was a blind spot for me in the way that I knew about it. And it was, and it was a big cult film. And I uh, finally, I just hunkered down and got the Blu-ray and, and man, I just, this, this is one of the, the best films I've ever seen, uh, Frank Perry directed, 1968, The Swimmer.
0: Hey, wait a minute. This looks like my wagon. I'm sure this is my wagon. This is my wagon. I wheel my kids around in it, you see that? That's why Ellen put a foot through and I mended it. With plywood. This is my wagon, man. Now, what's the trouble here? This is my hot dog wagon. Well, we bought it. You bought it? Yes, at a white elephant sale. what the hell is it doing at a white elephant sale? Your wife must have donated it. Well, she had no right to do that. She knows I'm crazy about this thing. Take it up with her. Listen, I'll buy it back from you. Not interested. I'll give you you twice what you paid for it. I'll give you $100. $100? For that piece of junk? I want to buy this wagon back. Name a price, and I'll send you a check. You'll send me a check? (laughs) I'm taking this thing home with me. Hands off, you. You crashed in. Now crash the hell out. Go on, beat it.
1: So like I was saying before, um, this is a film that I watched in January of last year, and I just haven't been able to stop thinking about it. Of all the films I watched last year, this is one that had left the biggest impact on me. Um, so this is directed by Frank Perry, and um, to my knowledge, I believe he was actually fired by Lancaster at one point, and Sidney Pollack came in to reshoot some stuff. Um, I'm a little fuzzy on the details there. I don't I don't know all of them. Uh, this is actually a documentary on the Grand House releasing Blu-ray that uh, about the making of the film that I wish I had known about earlier, or else I would have watched it before recording this. But uh, we have Burt Lancaster from the filming place this guy ned and he's going it takes place in connecticut and he he's going home and he decides to swim his way home where he there's these houses that that connect uh he's able to to connect these houses and he's going to swim in a different pool basically leading home and at the the start of the film he's very happy um he's getting along he you know he's, he's in very good mindset and then as it goes on we start to see a gradual um mental and even physical breakdown of that character where he starts to we start to learn more about him about the people in his life about uh just where he's at until we get to the conclusion of the film and along the way swimming each each way um and this is a film that uh it man just just the gradual progression of the film is so fascinating and so dark um the characters i meet along the way were there's a whole great subplot where he is, uh, in, he's he's with this younger girl. Uh, I believe Lancaster was in his 50s or something like that when he uh, was in this film, but this girl who he um, starts to get kind of romantic with, but then she pushes him away and how that relationship happens or how that forms and then disintegrates and uh, we start to see him get worried more and this is some strange, not even like strange, like uh, it's hard. Man, this film is a little difficult to talk about, but we get like you start to wonder what's real and what isn't and we're following him the whole way so we see him and like he starts you know he's not he's not who he was at the beginning of the film physically or mentally and there's one shot in this film that's really stuck with me all year and it's a shot where it's this dirt path and the sun is like coming down and it's Lancaster just kind of just walking down this main path um not, I guess, a total opposite to where he was before, where before he's running along with a horse and he's, um, you know, all happy and now he's just broken down. And I think, you know, I've read a lot about this film about a lot of the symbolism and what kind of what I got out of it. And I really think, I, I really do think that a lot of this film is kind of the, um, uh, uh, about maybe the response to, in a way, a a, a, a character like this, like the this ultra masculine guy and holding in these emotions for all this time until they eventually just all come out and in a, in a bad way where Burt Lancaster, you look at an actor like Burt Lancaster and the roles that he would take. And then he does a role like this where it's not maybe the complete opposite, but it's definitely a breakdown of a ultra masculine guy and the, the emotions and the feelings that come out of that and regrets and the love that he lost. And, and, uh just the just looking back on his life and especially what I'm talking about before the endings of these films, where this goes to at the end is so um it's really it really stuck with me. And I really have to applaud Grindhouse releasing for one, making this film way more readily available. This is a film that I'd known about for years. It was a big cult film. And, you know, Grindhouse releasing primarily do, uh, you know, uh, like horror exploitation films, you know, Cannibal Holocaust, Cannibal Ferox, Cat in the Brain, I Drink Your Blood, these kind of titles. And um, I know they've done some other stuff too, like An American Hippie in Israel and um, Corruption and The Big Gun Down and stuff. I don't know when this actually came out, but um, this is uh, this is just a film that I just have not been able to stop thinking about. And, you know, I, I'm going to go through my, you know, my top 50 at the end. And I think I watched, uh, I have my list right here. I watched... Uh, about my list here from last year, tell you how many films I watched. I watched 1034 films in 2021, uh, maybe minus like five or 10 counting for like some shorts, um, like 10, 15 minute shorts or like 40 minute shorts. If you really want to count those or not, I just included them to help me remember. But, um, no film that I watched last year really has stuck with me like this has. And I've only ever seen it the one time and it had that big of an impact on me, uh, and just where it goes to, and the themes. And I mean, I'm sure you can probably write essays on what the film, you know, what it represents, and uh, you know, and it's, when it comes to the ending of the film, I have my own interpretation of what the whole film means. Um, going back to forth I was talking about without getting into spoilers or anything like that. But I think really it is just holding in these feelings for all this time until they eventually all just come out. And this is 1968, so when you know, films were transitioning to a darker period, you know, darker tonal themes, um, uh, ideas. I look at a movie like, um, like, I don't know, Joe, for example, um, with Peter Boyle and that's a film that I think is a response to the sixties as well, like, but that's full on. I mean, even when that film ends, I think it's very much like def- like definitive, but I look at a film like Joe or the swimmer or Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, these films that came out around the same time, you know, only a couple of years apart. And these films are dealing with reflecting and looking back and, where we are now. Uh, and I think a film like The Swimmer, I mean, I think Frank Perry is honestly a genius. I know he can't be fully credited in this film, but I the films I've seen of his, this and uh, David and Lisa and Diary of a Mad Housewife, uh, he's one of these directors who I've just like, oh, and um, uh, Rancho Deluxe. Uh, I, I mean, even if I don't love all those films, uh, I, mean, uh, I don't know. I just I, He's just such an interesting filmmaker and I want to see everything that he, he's made because um you know, and Eleanor Perry as well, you know, his, his uh, writer and his co-writer and wife. Uh, but this film really has just stuck with me. And even as I think about it now, I'm just replaying scenes in my head and some of the films on the list, I admit I, I needed a bit of a refresher because you watch so many films, they start to bleed together and you start to forget things. But this is a film that I just haven't forgotten about. And, and um, the Lancaster films I've watched since, I just think about, I think back to this film and the character he plays in that as opposed to, you know, I, I, I just recently watched a film like run silent, run deep. And he's, uh, and then his, he's a very masculine character in that film as well and um, a character like that and towards a character like Ned uh, this is very interesting uh, yeah I, I can probably talk about this longer but I'm not going to go on all day this is undoubtedly there, to me there was no question this was the best film I saw in 2021 it's a I just it's easily become an all-time favorite. Um, I, I, there's no way that, uh, I don't know. I, I, I want to watch it at some point, but I want to give it some time because even though uh, I spent a little bit of time, I just, it's one that um, really has made a big impact on me and I just haven't forgotten about. So back to my top 10, uh, I'm going to go through my, uh, it was actually pretty, this year was actually pretty difficult making a list because I had seen so many good films that I almost thought I'm making it a top 100, but I kind of wanted to limit it down. So um, some really, really phenomenal films just didn't even make the top 50 and that's telling you something especially in the top 10 together. I mean, uh, just some films that, you know, and and this list isn't definite and all that because, you know, obviously your opinions change over time and some films you end up appreciating more. Um, So, I mean, take it as is right now, but I'm going to go through my top 50 really quick and uh, that should be it. So, all right, here we go. Number 50, you have Pierre LeFou. Number 49, Vagabond. Number 48, Welcome to the Dollhouse. Number 47, Insiniag, or Siniang. Uh, number 46, Central Station. 45, The Hustler. 44, Mouchette. 43, Taxi Hunter. 42, Nightmare in Badham County. 41, Smokey and the Bandit. 40, Croupier. 39, Head. 38, Freddy Got Fingered. That, might, that one might kind of turn a couple heads. Uh, 37, American Splendor. 36, Mr. Jealousy. 35, Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days. 34, Thief. 33, Fallen Angels. 32 Embrace of the Serpent 31 Highlander and 30 Night Riders 29 Ix Gift 28 Lestrada 27 Come and See 26 Elephant 25 Carney 24 The Taking of Pelham 123 23 Blow Up 22 A Thousand Clowns 21 Pootie Tang and 20 Shoah. 19 Goodbye Solo 18 Over the Edge 17 Straight Time 16 Girlfriends 15 Scarecrow 14, Breaking Away, 13, Police Story, 12, The Dion Brothers, and just missing out on the list, actually, I mean, they could probably even swap these, at any other day this could make the list, but 11, The Devils. So going back to the top 10, number 10, The Bad News Bears, number 9, Jeremy, number 8, The Cincinnati Kid, number 7, The Heartbreak Kid, number 6, Summer of 42, number 5, Make Way for Tomorrow, number 4, Ivan's Ecstasy, number 3, The Hunt, number 2, Hard Boiled, and number 1 is The Swimmer. So thank you guys for checking out another list. I have some more ideas I want to do soon, so I'm going to try to be a little better next time at getting some more content out. But until then, I hope this turned you on to some recommendations or some films that you've heard of and not seen yet or some films you haven't heard of. So uh, that's all I got to say. So all the best.
0: And cut. Perfect. Printed. Let's move on.